Hello everyone and welcome to Point Taken, our newly launched podcast series by the Finnish Institute in Budapest, Finagora. My name is Rebecca Vilhonen and this is the second podcast episode and the whole point of this podcast is to discuss various subjects and topics related to Finland and Hungary with interesting people. And today's interesting person that I will be talking to is Finnish dancer Jenna Jalonen. Hello. It's nice <laughs> to you? hear that I'm an interesting person. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sure you are. Um, could you just tell us a little bit about your background? Because you are a Finnish person living here in Budapest. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like just a little bit how come you're here, where were you born, all that sort of stuff. Well, it starts to become a long story already. I moved here in 2008 to join at the classical ballet school, the Hungarian okay. Dance Academy. So I was around 16, 17 years old when I came here. So Ooh. basically I skipped the whole uh, college in Finland and then came to here to do the BA degree of higher education in as a dancer to become a professional dancer and at the beginning it was supposed to be only a, a one-year exchange <laughs> <laughs> and then i noticed that there was development in in my dancing and in in i liked budapest a lot and then i noticed like ah, okay you can get a higher educational degree here since the educational system in the dance here is combined together with the college and the professional dance oh, okay. ba degree because basically what they are aiming to do is to have the dancers graduate as early as possible because the career is so short or let's say short yeah. and so that because your best years are when you're in your 20s so yeah in as in difference to other professions like you already graduate with a BA degree when you're 19 20 instead of 24 or 25 so and I noticed that ah, okay so you can do this combined education here and get to the profession much faster than if I would do the same school path in Finland so I stayed here for the whole three years of the education and I graduated from here and then afterwards I actually did <laughs> full change in career I didn't become a ballerina after all I changed to contemporary dance Okay. Oh, so this was like a classical ballet uh, yeah. education. Yeah, yeah. Okay. On paper, I'm a ballerina, but oh, okay. I never, I never did, uh, I never worked as a as a professional ballet dancer. That's amazing, being yeah. on paper a ballerina. I love that. <laughs> Where did you hear about this school? Like, how come you heard about it and then just found it so young when you're like 16? Or I th- think already when I was in Finland, I was in the Finnish Opera Ballet School oh, there, okay. and uh, I noticed that. I had a very huge wanting and eagering to become a professional dancer and somehow I noticed like okay there's something I want more and I noticed that that in foreign countries and or abroad the classical ballet schools are in a higher level or they have a longer history in, in educating dancers than for example in Finland and it was just this wanting like I just wanted more and uh, I was talking with some of my previous ballet teachers and then they recommended this this school to me. I also was, before that, I did some courses and some training in Stuttgart and also in Boston in the States, but, and then I was in between the two, like, okay, should I move across the ocean or should I move to Hungary? And then Hungary became the choice. You said you're a ballet dancer on paper, so, and then you became, or you're a contemporary artist now. So how did you then make this change into something quite different from ballet? It's It came slowly. Um, already when I was in school here in Hungary, I started to 
get to know with the contemporary dance scene and the contemporary theater scene a bit more here in Budapest. And I just found new dimensions to, to performing and to dancing. And everything that ballet represented became somehow two-dimensional to me. Because classical ballet is a very high form of, of art, but it is somehow just really an about the image, about the one side of as a spectator and the performer, there's really a wall between the performer and the and the audience. So you have this box feeling and uh, and it's almost like watching a moving painting all the time. And with contemporary dance and contemporary arts, I started to notice that there's so much different dimensions to to dance and to performing, which is not only about the aesthetics anymore, which I found very intriguing and very interesting. So I started to take classes outside of school from certain Hungarian contemporary dancers and teachers. I joined the Villa in Leo, which is a improvisational dance theater that gathers every Wednesday in the evening. It used to be in the old Gödör in the center, in the studio back. So we were mm -hmm. like, really, it was really an underground place of that every Wednesday we got together dancers and musicians from the independent Hungarian dance scene and musician scene. And then we just had a jam together and then it became more and more popular. There was more and more people just coming to watch it. It wasn't just a, an inside circle anymore. And this was something that I was really waiting each week to go, even though I was doing really hardcore yeah. <laughs> classical ballet training. But then every Wednesday it was a, a time to go and experience these new new tastes somehow so this like was born quite organically yes, sort of yeah, from yeah. the actual like expression or the art and yes. just this connection and i think it also yeah. somehow connected is connected with my age i was very mm. young so like when i became 18 like when i became an adult it came happened here and it happened within this scene so in that moment when you step into the adulthood and you grow up sort of it's also when you start to mm become interested in a lot of other things besides you rather than just school, for example. And I think this was how I started to investigate and and, um, yeah, and, like, and find out yeah. new things. And learn about yourself as well, like what totally, kind of person totally, and dancer definitely. and artist and, and so on. So it's probably very, yeah, it's been a very interesting journey yes. <laughs> for you. Yes. Uh, I think a very interesting aspect of performance in general, but specifically in dance is sort of this question about meeting the audience, because like it's kind of at this sort of like when you do the movement of dance, that's already the art, but then you meet the audience and then something special kind of is, is born from this meeting, uh, which uh, or something like kind of like magical is happening when you meet the audience itself. So now when we have had this weird year with no audience interaction at all. Uh, like, how has this been for you? Kind of like being just not being able to perform in front of actual people. I think that it's a very complex thematic that we are discussing a lot in the art scene now. How the whole position and and function of performing arts it has changed and is changing and is forced to change now because of this pandemic. You said that that movement in itself is art, and I slightly disagree mm -hmm. with you with okay. this. I think dance or movement in the body, it's very natural form of existence. It has always been there bef even before dance was defined a form of art. Uh, besides singing, it's the oldest form of uh, storytelling and trance and related to religion and ceremonies and all this. So it has been really hand to hand with the human culture since ever. 
sort of. And it's not until later on that it became a form of of performing. So became, it, dance became a medium mm-hmm. between a performer and a spectator, just like with just like a theater. The, the movement is just a medium or the the tool of communication or communicating something or expressing something. And that's when dance became art. So I believe that dance somehow, it sounds maybe too stupid, that it's not art without the audience. Mm. In a way, yeah. it just is and it's enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but for it to be art, it's you need the spectator. It's also the same in, as in theater. Theater is not theater unless there is somebody to watch it, then it's just uh, schizophrenic people in a room. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, it's like an egoistic like, rehearsal, yeah. just people like, oh, talking on stage. <laughs> like, or is a yeah. painting art? Or is painting a painting if somebody saw it? You know, like, yeah. So I think with dance, it's a little bit the same. Dance as a, as a form of, of, of expression. So this year has been really difficult in this sense. And I think a lot of... Uh, dancers and performers also struggle with this with this period not just financially because mm. you not to mention like i think in every country in the world art is the one who's been getting the biggest hit almost with this whole pandemic thing of course there's a thrive with within multimedia art and video art and everything that's presentable online or having a different form they are thriving in this moment which is great to have a space for that but live arts is really really swimming in the mm. deep water at the moment. And I think that stage, for example, for us, or this situation of, of performing, it's, it's essential uh, for our existence, I think, as human beings. I also know this, that I don't have the same opportunity or situations to channel certain emotions or traumas, or it's almost therapeutic in a way to do this or to be on stage because you enter stages and an existence and sort of feelings that you're not able to reach just in uh, in a normal everyday life so i think we are talking a lot about the financial and uh, arts missing and uh, all these problems but we are not really talking about what are the psychological effects for arts and not just for spectators but also for audience who are not getting visible or who are not getting live arts anymore and um, i think a lot of people also survive the pandemic and the quarantine because of art because if there would not be netflix or films <laughs> yeah. or movies or or books or, or, <laughs> yeah. books or, yeah. or music yeah. then how the heck we'd just would... be sitting staring yes. at a wall yeah <laughs> it would be horrible yes so and imagine if that doesn't exist then it's really really difficult for the beings and i think it can only be measured after a, a year or two to see what uh, what the effect really is and how much the audience misses live art and how much the live artists misses their their audience i think it's gonna be yeah like definitely years ahead we're still gonna sort of see uh, some effects of this and also like a thing that i think is very important also very often forgotten when people go to the theater or even watch movies and such like in an actual cinema then and and seeing dance and all these things like they get inspired as well and get more energy to their daily lives which is completely missing now we just do the same thing and it's just very um i think yeah like the effects are quite severe and i don't think we really realize it because we're just surviving right now and thinking like okay yeah soon this will be over soon (laughs) and it's a it's very uh, yeah it's gonna be i really hope everybody will just like as soon as when this ends when we can go and see live uh, performances everybody was gonna storm there everybody's gonna like 
buy a crazy amount of tickets and just go well, on I'm really curious <laughs> about this also yeah, because but- I think there's because of the communication in the media around this whole pandemic it has been really contradictional in a lot of sense I think people who live in Hungary especially know this <laughs> but I think it's all over Europe but there are some countries who have proved this that theater for example is not the space where you can get the virus like mm. it's not like Spain for example has been doing performances the whole time I was just performing in Luxembourg okay with a reduced amount of of audience but still with the safe distance watching with your mask on then why not I mean it's mm. much safer place to be rather than sitting in a terrace for example so there's a lot of weirdness to it but I think and I hope that Hungary gets to the point also soon that we get back to the theaters yeah. because I think there's also a lot of fear around this pandemic and of course closed spaces need sitting next to strangers mm. can be something that you think like oh my god and you have a panic attack while there but then you choose not to go to the theater but I think there's a big amount of of people who need the live arts and need this experience and and they understand that okay I'm in a well-organized space where people are let in one by one. We're sitting within a distance from each other calmly. So I hope we get there and, and we get to perform soon. Yeah, like if it's just like well-organized and you get the sense of like my sa- uh, the safety has been uh, And it is. I mean, it's, just, it is, it's yeah. like a choreography when they let yeah. people <laughs> in the theater. Yeah. I was laughing about it in Luxembourg. It's like... There's a piece that I do that I'm. we have to be on stage while the audience comes in. Like, ah, normally it's just five, ten mm. minutes when they let people in. But when now they were in, ten, in one by one. It was like half an hour. And it's <laughs> like, okay, you go there. Thank you very much. Sit down. And then, okay, now you come. <laughs> like really, like escorting them to sit in. And it was really funny. It's a, a, a show on its own. <laughs> <laughs> that seems so bizarre from like the times when you're just like quickly, quickly, like you're just like so yes. close to each other. Oh my God. Uh, and you said you performed in Luxembourg just now. Yeah. Yeah. And where you're going to go now abroad as well? Next now week? I'm uh, the next what I'm doing is I'm going to do a project in Croatia. Croatia. Okay. Yes. And then I will be performing with someone in Ljubljana in Slovenia twice, apparently. Also here in Budapest, hopefully. Fingers crossed yeah. if everything's happening. I've been twice selected to Airwaves, which is a European platform for performing artists or young emerging choreographers. And two years in a row, I was selected for this program with two different pieces. First year with a collaboration with the Hungarian artist Beatrix Simko. And then last year with my Belgian partner Jonas Garrido Werwerft, with my collective, we got a, a piece in there. But then the pandemic came, so the whole platform is usually connected with a big festival every year in a different European city where it's just uh, called Spring Forward, where a lot of programmers, a lot of theater directors, partners, audience comes to see these 20 performances that they or 20 artists that they've selected each year. And due to the pandemic, it got cancelled. So sort of this year with all the tours that is the outcome of this festival or outcome of being chosen for this platform has been just uh, thrown (laughs) behind the shoulder. So it was funny, like I was, we were really waiting for last year and this season was like, okay, this is going to be the rock and roll year because there's a lot of performances. I have two two shows, three shows of my own touring in Europe, but then like it's cancellation after each other. And there are some grisps, (laughs) little things that were possible to happen, for example, Luxembourg is through this network or this platform that we got to do the performance. But this was also supposed to be in September, but then we postponed it and, and there's a 
a lot of going back and forth. So I now only believe that performance happens once it's happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> once I'm only actually on stage, then I believe it's gonna happen. But I don't yeah. Want, yeah, I don't want to focus just on this. But like, how have you like, how have you survived this? Like, it just seems so so sad just like to have everything cancelled and then like how have you been able to be like creative still and kind of get oh, that outlet going like your dance have you been dancing at home like how have you like how has this how have you managed <laughs> i think last year when the first lockdowns came or when the world sort of like stopped and it was really like in the most cliche way, imagining like we're in a studio rehearsing for a new thing and then it's like, no, tomorrow on, nothing. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> what is this? Um, but at the same time, when the first lockdown came, I was relieved because I was the past year, I've been really pushing creation after each other. Like it has been, it was a very, very heavy season for me and I was really almost on the edge of a burnout almost, but just in this, just thriving 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 so to have this sort of decision coming from outside like I'm okay now yeah now we stop a bit it was a bit of a relief rather than have to do this decision on my own so the first half a year was okay it was nice like okay we went to the countryside with my boyfriend and dog and we're just <laughs> gardening and getting into all these I don't know sour, sourdough, sourdough, bro, yes. <laughs> sourdough bread and <laughs> all these things which was amazing but then when we had this small little opening in the autumn and we had some performances happening it was like you got the taste of the blood again you know yeah. and you become hungry yes so and and then when the lockdown came again it's like oh no not again and then now this winter felt like forever so it's been really financially living up from mm. savings and from small grasp and, and fundings that we had for projects basically and on the other hand, the other creativity and with all this spare time, what we did now is that together with my partner, for years we've had this dream to, to create a program for young dancers that are between school and professional life, because this gap is in the arts field or in the dance field is very big. Mm. The school is preparing you very much on a dance technical level. And then when you enter the professional life, you end up noticing that you're missing a lot of tools that you need to orientate and survive in the professional field. So in this break, we're like, okay, we have so much time, what to do? Okay, let's create this program. So the one, the whole year we've been really consulting with a lot of people, professional dancers, choreographers, and we put together a program now that we are launching in September here in Budapest. It's called Sublab Pro, the ensemble mm -hmm. program for young dancers. And uh, now we're doing the application process. So we're having a lot of videos <laughs> and Zoom calls. And um, and then from September on, we are holding this professional, like pre-professional, basically a company year or a structure that is imitating how a dance company functions and how it works by doing a lot of different creations and performances. And plus offering lectures and, and daily training, of course, for the body and different technical training and then lectures in subjects that are really essential for artists, especially in the freelancing scene, to understand about self-management, networking, light design, sound design, I don't know, how to do your technical writer, mm. if you sell your piece, how to how to write an audition call, how to how to do an audition, how to survive an audition, how to get a job, how to manage yourself, what is networking and all these all these things basically. So we are supporting and giving a, and offering full round mentoring program for young dancers. It's very useful. And this was something you felt like was lacking in, in your education. Definitely, or, yeah. definitely. And it's not that 
There are attempts on touching these subjects in the school, but I believe that the very, very few professional dance schools in Europe or actually in the whole world that is completely serving the needs of the professional field. That somehow I feel that or what I experience is that dance schools in Europe especially are serving the purpose of this big company life. Or big, like, like if you become a professional dancer, then you join a big company, like let's say a ballet company, for example, or even a contemporary dance company. That And this era of these big companies is kind of ending, or not ending, but it's not so big that it was 20, 30 years ago. Mm. And the structure of the schools in education, how the school program is designed, is designed to you finish your school and you enter a three-year contract. And this is not the case anymore. There are more and more project-based companies and and you need and as a dancer it's not enough that you just know one technique unless you're a ballet dancer then okay it's enough but even there it's not enough anymore even there they're combining neoclassical and modern uh, styles now and when it comes to contemporary dance like damn you have to know everything a little bit you have to have a sense of what it is politically your Mm. country is living in different techniques different martial arts singing acting you have to have a sense of good social skills like you are needed um, so much different kinds of aspects to have in your hand that the school is not necessarily preparing you for rather than they come with a high, high technique dance-wise and then they end up in a creation and they don't know how to improvise. Mm. So there are a lot of different things that how the scene is evolving and the schools are too slow to evolve yeah. because they are connected with accredited university systems and it's it's difficult to go and and I'm not just talking about Hungary, but even Europe, like to go like explain this, like, ah, yeah, okay, we have this art school and that they have fighted to be in these university systems and mm-hmm. to be accredited and to have a professional diploma. And it's difficult to go and <laughs> explain them each year, but yeah, but this is not in fashion <laughs> yeah. anymore in the art scene. Now they need this, you know, like they have to have multifunctional <laughs> skills in media art, you know, yeah. like they just thought that they could have different dance techniques. And so it's... Um, so that's why I think the function of or the position for this kind of alternative programs that are filling this gap between the school and the profession mm. is really, really needed. And also like our university or a school education world is very slow traditionally and yeah, very like uh, not the fastest to react to. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, And it's mm. also like, I think it's it's amazing that if you go through, um, like for example, here in Hungary, Dan- Hungarian Dance Academy, that it is an accredited school and you yeah. get a diploma and I have a BA degree at the age of 19. It's amazing. Mm. But all the theoretical subjects that we went there is dance history, music history, art history. Okay, okay. But what is now yeah. what's happening now i had i had to find all this information about for example the hungarian dancing all by myself by going to see performances and dancing mm. like oh like oh, okay actually the scene is this and it's not marta graham and pina bausch mm. and i don't know <laughs> tchaikovsky you know like yeah, it's so yeah. different you know how how the world is or how the dance education mm. needs to evolve how would you describe like the hungarian dance scene just yeah just what is it like the contemporary dance i find it extremely interesting yeah um it is very there is you can sense that in a way there is because of this political situation Mm. now in hungary there's division in two so we would say that there are these really governmentally supported uh, companies there are Mm. more these bigger companies from the classical ballet to the big state state uh, theaters in your page seged uh, and there's, of course, the folk dance like companies that are like a massive stone of the Hungarian dancing. And then there's the urban 
I would say urban or underground or the independent contemporary dance scene, which is really, really emerging and also doing extremely interesting work in the sense of the whole Europe also. Like if I go abroad to Europe somewhere else and I say that I'm in the Hungarian scene, I see people's eyes opening up like and go like, oh, wow. And it's like, there's something about the Hungarian dancers that is a bit like a, like, oh, you've seen the unicorn. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So, and also like in difference, for example, in Finland, I'm not really up to date with the Finnish dancing mm. i mean i've came there with a completely different background that where i ended up now and i don't i cannot say that i know the finnish dancing but of course i'm following it but i think that sense or this is my own theory <laughs> somehow that i believe that or what i experienced that in countries for example that are extremely safe socially democratically politically carry a much lighter contemporary art scene or much more softer okay. in a way yeah. like if we think about Finnish contemporary art it's a lot about visual arts a lot of installations light design there's a lot of dance which is which is they're doing a lot of somatic work they are like more with connection with people they're not touching so much political subjects for example where rather in Hungary it is a, a boiling soup <laughs> when it comes to the situation, what's going on here. And the result of that is that the art scene, because that's the only free channel yeah. anymore to talk about. And even in art scene, they're doing massive yeah, restrictions. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and boycotting and not yeah. giving funds and, mm. and censorship to, to your free speech basically. But it still is, I think performing arts and, stand-up comedy are the mm. only places where you can still say what you think or express what you think. And because of this, I think the Hungarian independent dance scene and theater scene, for example, is doing extremely interesting work. And it's it's rough, it's, uh, it's touching, it's very, I don't want to say avant-garde, but it's, there's something that it carries a weight, you know? And, and to this, it's something like, I can go into almost any Hungarian theater piece or contemporary dance piece and I feel touched. I feel, yeah. okay, it's carrying something. It's talking about a subject that is on the date and it is needed yeah. to be talked about. Rather than in Finland, it's more of a, I don't know, I imagine, <laughs> but it's more of a relaxation and, and beauty and like, oh, you know, like, so... And it, yeah, art serves different needs. And here in Hungary, apparently there's a need to talk about certain things because you're not allowed to talk about them. So yeah. art and performing arts is touching these subjects. Okay. Yeah. So we, yeah, we talked about this, uh, like in Finland, the contemporary dancing is a bit different, but you're also like active in, in Belgium, right? So how is, does it differ then from Belgium, Hungary's art, contemporary art scene? And yeah, just a little comparison. I had, f I had four years that I was living in, in Belgium. And it's been a few years that I'm back from there. Yeah, that was like a, a new, I don't know. I just went there and did a, okay, new page. Let's see how the dance scene is here. Belgium famously, let's say, is sort of the mecca of contemporary dance. I think because of there are a lot of bigger contemporary companies, Rosas, Ultima Vest, Pipping Tom, uh, Jan Fabre, uh, Alain Platel, Balesse de la Baie. These are some bigger European or Belgian really heavy stones like what we have like with the national ballet company or national folk dance department here in hungary these are the ones that are in belgium mm. that are carrying the belgian identity in the performing arts and they also have a very good school there parts 
So there's a lot of dancers go there because it's a mixing point, really. A lot of dancers and artists pass through Brussels or pass through Belgium at some point of their career, for sure. So the plate and the menu of performing mm-hmm. arts and dance is very wide there. So there's a lot to choose from. There's all the, like every night of the evening, there is a dance piece or, or a performance happening somewhere. Also, the whole country, it's not just that the capital carries a contemporary dance scene. Every city has a theater that is representing contemporary dance. So it's also very different from Hungary. Whereas the independent contemporary dance scene, for example, is very much concentrated in the Budapest mm. area. And it's really difficult to to reach the countryside or the smaller cities inside the country. So the national touring is really in the children's shoes here. There are some initiatives to open this up, but it's also there's a very big gap mm. in the audience education also. Whereas in Belgium, you can be in a smaller city, Roselare, and uh, you have a massive cultural center and there's just, it's not dense people or other artists who are watching you. They're really normal people who have this need to watch contemporary dance and it's it's great. So you have a bigger variety of the audience also. Because sometimes here in Hungary, I think that the scene is watching each other yeah, yeah. rather than really being accessible for for all audiences and different age groups and different backgrounds and different minority groups for example mm-hmm. and this is something that's that Belgium has done very very well the cultural education since thirty mm-hmm. years, forty years already. And and this is really visible. And this is all it was also very nice to to experience that you can tour forty shows inside the same country. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Hungary you can do two cities. It's very like similar in, in Finland from my experience when it comes to theater. You have a very yep. like from a certain social economic group, a certain people and very much the same people looking, yeah. watching the same thing. And that's also I think somehow very related also to the cultural and if you compare it to the UK where there's a stronger theater tradition yes. and people are more used to it. So it's a bit but it's a very like definitely should more be open up and everybody should come in and experience yep. uh, arts in all different forms. And I think it's also a little bit in the na- in the nature of Finnish people. We are quite calm and quite alone yeah. and we like to keep the five meter distance and we yes. are just waiting <laughs> the pandemic to end to get back to the five meter <laughs> distance instead of the one and a half. Exactly. So I think that also is visible in how active the audience in Finland is. Yeah. You know, they might be, I don't want to go to see the theater because what if they ask me to go on stage yes. and then there's some interaction. And <laughs> then I might something. have, yes. <laughs> so that's why I think Finnish people like love to watch installations because you go there by yourself, you know you have to be quiet in a museum. Yes. <laughs> you have to be, you know, it's like, okay, it's nice, it's beautiful. You Everybody know knows the rules. Exactly. Everybody's like, yes, I don't have to like say anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we all follow the same thing. Yes. And yeah, it's a bit, it's very comfortable for yeah. Finnish people. Yeah, <laughs> definitely more than, yeah, going to uh, some show where there might be some yeah. interaction. Oh dear. <laughs> But yeah, maybe that's also changing, hopefully. Um, I think there is. And yeah. also Finland is opening up very much when it comes to the, let's say, more progressive things to happen. Definitely already inside the country, there are great artists working, I think, who are touching subjects that the little moomin nation goes a bit out of the yeah. comfort box. 
I don't know, for example, Sonia Lindforce is, um, oh, yes, yeah. is doing very great work in this sense and she's touching subjects that are really out of the ordinary. It's very, yeah, yeah. definitely like a sort of trailblazer or whatever it's called. Like yeah. she does definitely, uh, yeah, a very, very good art pieces yeah. and beautiful. Also, Rakalio, uh, Walter Rakalio, Rakalio Corporation, like there, he's doing also very nice work. I know he has also... He's doing dance in not regular spaces, so it's he's really taken dance out of the theater black box and put it into people's living room or into a warehouse or into mm -hmm. into alternative spaces, which is what you need a little bit to yeah. put a certain subject out of its context and then see what happens mm -hmm. with the interaction within the audience. So I think there are initiatives in this also in Finland, which is which is amazing. And there are great festivals, for example, Kuopio, Oulu, Lainsoja, uh, like there are this situation, Tauden Kuntansi, there are a lot of different things where more, I don't know, different things are happening. And they're also inviting foreigners or other foreign companies to perform there. So there are waves of of new new things coming to there also so there is hope <laughs> yeah, there, that this, <laughs> no this, there definitely yeah. is yeah. yeah it's very exciting i think we're gonna round up this discussion okay. um, right now and thank you very much for coming here and talking with me i feel very inspired like after this when when trough when everything's open i'm just gonna run and watch contemporary dance and and just see this because you're just very inspiring and the way you speak about this art form it's very very nice. Thank so you. thank you very much. This has been our second episode of this podcast. Very exciting. And our next episode is going to be with uh, Finnish filmmaker and director John Webster. And I'll be talking with him as well. So that's going to be our next episode. Uh, thank you very much for anyone who's listening. And yeah, till next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.